Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlin. I'm joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. And uh, maybe not as exciting as last week for the pod, but I think there's still some energy for us. Yeah, it was. A, I think the excitement was at a rolling boil last week in terms of realignment, in terms of this football team. I think we've calmed down to about a simmer, um, but there's still some heat there. You know, you can still cook something in that simmer. And uh, by golly, we're going to cook something with this podcast today. I hope that uh, now he comes back later and like stays strong throughout. That's, <laughs> that's really the good stuff there. But uh, yeah, I guess we should start with the the realignment that there's an emergency board of visitors meeting on Friday. Who knows what that could be about? Um, so there. <laughs> I like I like some of the responses because you tweeted that out. I like some of the responses. Some of our followers had some person said um, it had it has to do with the red zone offense woes. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, so some good replies there, but they're kind of going through the steps uh, to get into the Sun Belt. So it's, you know, I guess not official yet, but it should be official soon. I think there's a chance next week was a report from the Athletic for JMU. Uh, maybe it takes a little longer. We'll see. But uh, Southern Mist has already joined. That was official. And they had like their little press conference. And then you're going to have Old Dominion uh, in Marshall as well. So it's going to be a 14-team league. Really good league. <laughs> really good league. Should be a lot of good football. I'm excited. I haven't heard a lot in terms of like when it's going to happen. I had seen 2023 floated, but hadn't seen a ton more. So uh, that's another thing to keep an eye on. But all those details are going to come out. It's just kind of a formality at this point, it seems like, which is good. Yeah. And worth noting that if they move in 2023, that means in 2022, they're not eligible for the FCS postseason. Um, then if they move, but then if they move in 2024, they're just not eligible in 2023. So the year before you are not eligible for the FCS postseason. I know we've been getting some questions with that. Um, I believe you're also then not bowl eligible the first year you join the FBS. Um, is it just one year with that? I forget some of it's the transition stuff. So like the, I think the reason for it is you might, you start amping up scholarships early. So like you can't play in the playoffs because I think you're, you're rolling through a season with like more scholarships than everyone. Um, so it would be cheating, I think is the, the logic there. I forget exactly how the bowl eligibility thing all works, but yeah, it's kind of a transitionary period where like, to be totally honest with you, I think it's going to take JMU a little bit of time to like get to contending for a Sun Belt. So if, you know, if they're missing out on the playoffs or missing out on a bowl, it's not like they're missing out on a new year six kind of yeah. bowl. So I mean, I mean, honestly, it probably will take them, yeah, a few years, not even just contend for the Sun Belt, but just to contend to be bowl eligible. I mean, they're facing Coastal and App and Marshall in their division. Like, it's, it's a, like we're, we're talking about it, like, in five years, it is going to be an absolute, it, assuming Coastal and App kind of maintain this trajectory and same with Marshall, it's going to be a fun, fun league. But I think it's going to be not as fun for the first year for JMU because, um, they're going to struggle probably. I mean, they could probably pull off a few of those wins, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be a cakewalk by any means. Yeah. You said it too, where it's like the league is good, but the division is stacked. Like you've got multiple teams that feel like rivals and have good programs and you're, you're they're in your division. You're playing them every single year. It kind of feels a little bit like, you know, how the big 10 East is significantly better than the big 10 West where you got like 
Wisconsin and yeah. Iowa in some sort of pillow fight every year. And then you've got, you know, Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State in a loaded division. So it's going to be hard to break out of that division for sure. I don't know what you mean. The Sun Belt West, I believe, is carrying Texas State. And uh, if Everett Withers did anything right there, they should be true contenders. A real step up for, for Everett, who is maybe still coaches. I don't know. <laughs> I think he's out of the job. I think he's out of a job. The last place I think he was was a defensive backs coach for the New York Giants. Somehow he continually failed upward. This is let's, – let's Google this. I'm going to Google it and see where Everett Withers is. What a fun – Fun way to jump into the pod. He, oh, he actually has, appears to have a job within that. You'll enjoy this. He is the, the Seahawks secondary. <laughs> <laughs> He's the defensive coordinator at Florida International, which is one of the Conference USA teams that's basically being left out of everything. Where do we think their defense ranks? Can't be good. I was looking at that. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be good. Got to be last in the nation. <laughs> Got to be last in the nation. But do you have any other expectations joining the Sun Belt? I mean, I'm excited to see how it all plays out. And I think a lot of people have mentioned this. We so we kind of had our bigger realignment pod last week. Uh, the Jamie Sports Blog guys. I listened today. And Which I'm if not you haven't ex- listened to both of those, go back and listen. Pause the podcast yes. right now. Listen to realignment talk last time because that was in the thick of it. I think we recorded like right. We yeah we got day, good time. all the reports were just swirling and then the sports blog guys had a really good stuff too yeah so they had a great one this week and I'm not just saying that because I had a one minute guest appearance um, but <laughs> one minute <laughs> they, wow they did a great job they let people record like voice memos through Anchor and included some of them so I did one they put it at the end so but it was really fun they had a, a guest on of their own and talked about realignment um, the JMU sports blog guys being excited is one of my favorite things to to enjoy on Twitter and on a podcast. So they were awesome. Uh, that was really good. And then Greg McDee and the DNRs had a lot of really good stuff. They had one, I don't know if you read it today, with Mickey Matthews. I, uh, I haven't gotten around to it, but I saw the quote, JMU's life life will change immediately. And that was like the sixth best quote. Like, I mean, it is he's a quote machine. He has one where he talks about how like Justin Fuente is learning that if you don't recruit Virginia, you're going to get screwed. Um, and he's probably going to get fired at Virginia Tech. He had one about like, you're not playing Richmond anymore. You're playing good teams now. And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> and then he had another one. I think I forgot his other one, but yeah, he has a couple more in there that are, that are kind of gold. So really good quotes from him. That's worth taking a look at, but just a ton of good content recently from, from everybody. Yeah. And before we move on from realignment into actual football on the field in the FCS, in the CAA, which we still have to talk about for at least the next year, um, I do want to just get you to say this on record, just to put it out there. Why is this a good thing? I mean, we've talked about it at length for probably since we started this podcast, why we support or don't support an FBS move. I think I used to be anti-FBS and now I've changed my stance. But a lot of JMU fans are out there kind of wondering, why is it better to go from being a national championship contender year in and year out to fighting for the Bahamas Bowl? Yes, a very good question. Got a bunch of these on Twitter, as you mentioned. Um, a quick aside, there are 130 teams in the FBS. Florida International is 122nd in uh, <laughs> scoring defense. So Everett Withers is still doing a bang-up job as a defensive defensive mind. Good to see that that is translated to Conference USA. Um, no, but it's a good thing. <laughs> the Sunbelt move is a good thing for JMU for a bunch of reasons. Uh, one that we've kind of talked about is uh, probably not financially viable 
for JMU to stay in the FCS. Like the amount they spend on athletics is at a G5 level, borderline. <laughs> is this a World Series thing? Borderline. Jacked home run. Oh, God. Was it all Jorge Soler. Oh. Jacked it. Lead off batter. Wow. Really? Yeah. Bottom of the first. I, I bet. Screwed that one up. So why I just go, keep going? I, this, is, this is what happens when we report at night in the middle of some large sporting events. So why I'm, is it good? I apologize. I I'm not even huge baseball guys, and baseball always throws us off the. <laughs> it really is. But it's good because it's not financially viable for JMU, what we've talked about, to spend as much money as JMU spends and to stay in the FCS. So when people talk like, um, why not be a big fish in a small pond? You probably have to cut some of the spending down and you wouldn't necessarily be guaranteed to even be a big fish in the small pond long-term. Uh, I think this will help with like donor interest, playing important games. Uh, you're going to play better games. You have regional rivalries. Like the, the Richmond game is supposed to be a rivalry and Richmond just takes advantage by, you know, boosting ticket prices um, and getting JMU fans to buy the seats. Like it's barely a rivalry at this point. There's not like any online smack talk. Like we've heard online from Appalachian State fans and Arkansas State fans and Georgia Southern fans more than Richmond fans, which is crazy. Like JMU just played them. So there's a lot of different stuff going on in terms of regional rivalries, which is great. Um, the financial aspect of it, and then exposure and media rights. So I think the Athletic also reported today, um, I think each school in the Sun Belt, I want to say they get 1.3 to 2 million, somewhere in that range um, annually from the ESPN deal. Um, that's way better than the Flow Sports deal. I don't know um, what you mean, man. That Flow Sports deal, they're getting paid. We're paying $12 a month. So like it's good exposure. And then, yeah, like, like you can watch major league baseball games on ESPN plus flow sports is giving you like curling from like somebody's basement. So you can watch other games. It's like a subscription that you're not getting just for JMU. You can also watch other sports. People already have it. Like I think both of us have it and not to watch JMU or at least a lot of people do. I think I have it just to, to watch different sports. So the exposure is better uh, financially. It makes sense. You've got better rivalries. The media rights deal is better. I mean, you can kind of go on and on. Um, it's really hard to make a case that staying in the FCS is better. Uh, I think you could in the past when some of these leagues were not regionally aligned. But now that you look at what the Sun Belt is and has the potential to be, uh, this seems like a pretty clear-cut option. So I think it's great for, for JMU for a lot of reasons. Yeah, and you know what else is great for JMU? No. Beating up on Delaware. Yeah, um, beating up in sort of a, another nasty game. Yeah, in a very ugly game. Did you get a chance to rewatch this one before we really dive into it, just so I understand? Yes, I have watched bits and pieces of this game. Not a full rewatch, but a closer rewatch than, than many weeks. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably really good for you, if we're being honest, because it was not, an, it was not, a, it was not a pretty game. Another field goal to death, 22-10, Jamie pulls out the win. Um, red zone offense still isn't good and and by not good I mean like abysmal and the, I believe the only touchdown of the game was a long run by Cole Johnson outside the red zone yeah 36 yards <laughs> yeah outside, so like still can't do anything in the end zone you I guess you ask I don't really know where to go with this you lead the ship here talking about this game because we had a lot of um a lot of text conversations that we might want to dive into. 
Yeah, so they're up to um, 31 trips to the red zone. They've scored on 26 of them, but they had two red zone trips, I guess, technically against Delaware. Neither was a touchdown. So now they're below 50% this season on red zone, like touchdown percentage, which is terrible. Um, so, I, I mean, you seem – I'm still kind of positive on them, but I guess does it feel like the red zone concerns are maybe something that isn't like a flash in the pan but more of a prolonged concern? Um it is worth mentioning before we really dive into all of this. Liam Fernandel is coming back yeah. um, at some point this season. It might be this week. We all thought and we all were told that it was a season-ending injury. And all of a sudden, here he is um, planning to come back and, and take back over that left tackle position, which might change things because my thoughts with it are they're not scheming guys open. And I, I, don't, I, think it, I don't think this is a flash in the pan. I think – they have legitimate problems in the red zone. They have legitimate problems on offense. They move the ball really well from their own goal line to the 20, but then once they get inside that 20, things just stop working. They have two guys, we talked about it last week, who make up over 75% of target shares in Chris Thornton yeah. and Antoine Wells, which are both really good players, but when you have all of your targets going to two people and your third leading receiver being Solomon Van Horse, I believe, who missed two games, during the season that's just not good so you need other guys to step up and right now we're not seeing that but a big big problem is the offensive line the offensive line isn't getting a push we kind of came into the season thinking that that was one of the strengths of this team but I think it might be one of their weaknesses and I don't want to you know rag on any one particular player but there are times that just across that line they're just getting mauled there's times when Cole Johnson has no time to throw can't really get out the ball. And maybe that's why their average depth of target, you know, is four yards, it seems like. Um, I, I just don't see this being a flash in the pan. This has been a problem for weeks now. Lower than 50% touchdown percentage when you get into the red zone is not a good thing. Um, and I just – I don't have a lot of hope. They're, you're shaking your head over there, so I, I wonder what you're thinking. Well, I lost you for a second, but uh... – I got you back now. Okay. And, no, I got the gist of what you were saying. I think for me, like, it's definitely a problem, but I also think they're going to get better in the red zone. Like, they've scored. What makes, you, what makes you think? Like, there's nothing. I'm not trying to attack you on your thoughts. Yeah, no, no, go, go, go for it. Like, there's literally nothing that I've watched from this game, from this team, that makes me go, you know what? They're about to turn the corner. If anything – it's gone the opposite way. They haven't scored a red zone touchdown, like, since I can remember. I mean, when they scored a touchdown, I forgot what a touchdown was. <laughs> I think that's almost why I think they're going to get better. Is like that's a, such a backwards one. Okay, no, it's not. Signetti was joking. He was like, they're going to throw a parade when we get a red zone touchdown. Like, he knows that here's, – here's really the main thing for me. He, like, knows it's an issue. And from, like, so – I covered UVA at the beginning of the year. Obviously, I have a new job now for those who follow me personally or whatever. Um, but I, when I was, a, when I was a, covering UVA, the defense sucked in the first two ACC games, like especially the first one. It gave up like 700 yards and 60 points to North Carolina. And Bronco Mendenhall was like, wow, we kind of stink on defense. So then the next week, they start working really hard on a bunch of different defensive things. And the progress defensively has been pretty slow to show up but it's like slowly shown up. Some of that is the opponent you're playing. But I think for JMU, that's kind of going to be a similar thing. It's like, I'm sure after Villanova, 
for the who was after Richmond, Villanova and Richmond. Yeah. I think it was pretty clear. Like they didn't score in the second half against Villanova, and then they were horrible in the red zone against Richmond. I guarantee that was an emphasis in practice ahead of Delaware. You have more of the same concerns. It's going to be an emphasis again. I think sometimes with college students and college players, you need multiple weeks of emphasis for something to really to start to show up. So I think they're going to eventually get better there and find ways to make it happen just because it's going to be a huge point of emphasis. Um, so that's kind of my hope is that they'll get better there. I think they might, they still need to be a little more creative. I do think Fornado could help a ton just because they're not getting a ton of, of push and whatever he can give them, I think would be beneficial. Uh, JT Timming, the center, I believe he's at center, right? He's out for the year. Uh, so Stanley Hubbard, I think will, will play center is what Greg Medea was saying. So some stuff going on there still in terms of like line switches, but I think Fornado helps. I think they got a chance to get better. And the other thing, and kind of going back to the UVA point where UVA shut out Duke partially because the defense is better and partially because Duke sucks is like the next four games, they're playing some teams that maybe have surprising records. They're not all that good defensively, like Elon Campbell, William and Mary and Towson. Like if your offensive line can't body those people and get you in the red zone, well then yes, you're, you're not winning a national championship. But I think they're going to have a better chance because, like, Richmond's front is pretty good. Delaware is, like, maybe not the best defense this year. But they've got some some guys that are maybe better than who they'll go up against the next few weeks. Villanova looks like a top five team. Like, Villanova yeah. just blew out Rhode Island. So, I still think there's a chance they'll get better, especially the next four weeks, because the opponents, I think, are worse defensively. I think they're placing an emphasis on it. And the terrible argument. But I, I don't think it can get that much worse. Like, I think they're going to find ways – to start making plays, which is maybe a very optimistic view. Yeah, so you think they've hit rock bottom and there's only one way to go. It is also worth mentioning, Villanova and uh, Richmond are two of the top three defenses in total defense in the CAA, so that kind of explains the struggles. Delaware, on the other hand, isn't as elite as we all kind of have hyped them up to be this season. They're middle middling defense, and they kind of – I mean, granted, Jamie, Jamie did put up 22 points – but it's kind of worrisome, especially they're missing two of their best players. To me, that was another kind of big thing. It's worrisome that missing two of the best defenders on a middling defense, they struggled to really move the ball. Um, I don't know. I just I think they I think they are capable of doing that. Like I think they are. Signetti knows the problems. They still have the CAA preseason player of the year in Percy, who's still not getting his normal workload that we're kind of accustomed to seeing from him um probably still working back from that hamstring injury and probably not all the way up to game game speed 100 percent um Latrell Palmer hasn't been the same Latrell Palmer maybe when he gets 19 carries in a game he kind of slows down first he did get 18 but only averaged two and a half yards per carry um I, I think it's possible and they have the talent they have the talent. You have Antoine Wells, Chris Thornton. These these aren't creative, and they don't have that big body in the red zone to just go up there and get it and just really attack it. I don't think they're going to turn it around. They're capable, but there's nothing out there that tells me this team is right there. This team is going to turn it around. Nothing out there tells me that's the case. I think they're right there. I, we totally disagree on this, and it makes me happy because I think most fans are probably in your camp. Um, but I, I don't know. I just feel like they're going to get it going. I think they're going to find ways to make some stuff happen. I kind of want to see Van Horse more involved. The other thing is if you can't score in the red zone, 
Like maybe you go real aggressive and try to hit some chunk plays. Like I don't like you got to yeah, score. Just touchdowns. open up your playbook to the the section that says chunk play touchdowns. Well, well yeah, <laughs> I kind of have a hot take and finish your your take about your chunk. Play. I get what you're saying. I'm just giving you a hard time. I kind of have a hot take that will hit next after you finish this point. I was just gonna say like the occasional trick play, a little something. I don't know. Maybe if it's like a third and two, are we opposed to a Latrell Palmer Wildcat? Like I'm just show me something. You know what I mean? Like put in a bunch of tight ends and a bunch of linemen and have Latrell in a direct snap and be like, if we can't get two yards against Campbell, then we'll, let's all just go home. No, I kind of, I do agree with, with what you're saying. Like you got, you struggle when the field is short. So right. don't let the field get short. But I think that comes back to, here's my kind of hot take. Antoine Wells kind of has a drop problem when it comes to deep passes. I might be He's alone in this camp, but Cole Johnson puts them on him. The granted, they're tough catches. I'll give him that. But people are touting him coming into the season as such a great FCS receiver. He's the best FCS receiver since Jerry Rice. That's really just JMU fans saying that, which is a little delusional. Um, but he is a really good wide receiver, and he makes things happen. But the ball hits him in the hands a lot when it's like a 20, 25, 30-yard pass, and it ends up on the ground. And that's the problem. Like – they're really it's like when you're playing Madden and you can just dink and dunk down the field and pick up and then once you get inside the 20 you can't dink and dunk because the linebackers are there like that was just a really simple stupid way of putting it in Madden terms but that kind of was what this team is to me they're elite in terms of moving the ball but then once the field gets short once they have to actually rely on schematics they just they just drop the ball quite literally and figuratively the Wells point is pretty fascinating because he definitely, I think I agree that he's got like the dude's a stud, right? Everyone agrees that he's a stud, but yeah, there's some, some drops there. And I guess the ankle, I don't know how healthy the ankle is at this point, but you look at the first three games of the year, Moorhead, Maine, Weber state, he had at least four catches for at least 60 yards and a touchdown in all three of those games. He had five touchdowns in the first three weeks has not scored a touchdown since has gone over 60 yards in one of the next four games against Richmond. And then the most catches that he's had, uh, he had six against New Hampshire and six against Richmond, four against Villanova, only two against Delaware. I know they've had some weather the last couple of weeks, so maybe that's impacted the offense a little bit. But, like, Antoine Wells is a stud, and he was killing teams in the first three weeks. Well, the next three, he hasn't. And, and he's getting open. He's still getting open. Because you also got a question. I mean, now teams are keen. They're definitely, know. yeah. But but he's still getting open. And there's one play that sticks out in my mind against Delaware. I think it was like a post route or something. He's deep open in the middle. A corner. He has a step or two on the corner or safety, whoever's covering him. And the second safety hasn't rotated over to him yet. So there was a moment where he's open deep. Cole puts it perfectly, and it kind of just falls through. He gets hit on the play. Like, it is a more difficult than normal catch, but he still hits him right in the hands, and it ends up on the ground. Like, he needs to make that catch. And maybe it is the ankle. Maybe it's some other extenuating circumstances we're not, we're not aware of. But he has kind of fallen off, and Chris Thornton has taken, kind of taken the torch from him. But Antoine Wells was a rolling boil to start this season, and he's barely at a simmer right now. Is Thornton fully healthy? He had one for one catch for four yards against Delaware. It was an ugly Delaware game. I gotta say, Scott Bracy was like doing had, work at one point. He had one for sixteen. I mean, they just well the passing attack 
was terrible, right? It was 15 for 30, 119 yards, no touchdowns and interception. That's not good. Like the offense, the whole was, offense not... was just bad. I mean, and, I, and that's kind of what worries me. It feels like the offense has regressed. Yeah. They put up 55 on Maine. They absolutely blew the doors off Moorhead and they had a darn good showing against Weber state. But since all of that, it just seems like every week more. And then they put up what 27 on Villanova, really good defense. But it just seems like every week now, they just regress a little bit. New Hampshire, they moved the ball. They couldn't finish because of stupid mistakes. They just have gotten a little worse every week. That's kind of why I'm excited to, <laughs> to see them. You know, they suck, but, you know, that makes me really excited about what they can do. <laughs> the rest of the year. Because they look good at the beginning. The opponents, I think, are getting a little bit easier. But the thing that I keep coming back to is that they played their last two games. They've scored two offensive touchdowns combined, and they have an average margin of victory of 14 points because the defense has been so darn good. Like, if the offense can be competent in the red zone, like, just competent throughout a game and score, like, 30 points, they're going to – I know they're playing some backup quarterbacks, but, like, the defense looks awesome. Yeah, it, it does. And that kind of – that. what worries me, though, is – this defense is really good. This defense is good enough to get you to the semis. It's not good enough to beat a semis team, like a semis opponent. They need help, yeah. But, yeah, the defense is really good. The defense has stepped up huge, and they're the reason that, you know, they're still, an, uh, they're still a national title contender. If this was just a, a, an above-average defense, they're not a national title contender. But they're an elite defensive unit, one of the best in the country, and because of that, they are national title contenders. Here's something interesting. Okay, I'm ready. Hit me. Ethan Ratke. His two missed field goals were... 18 of 20 this year. And his two misses were at the end of the Villanova game. Like, the dude is so automatic. For him to miss those, I still can't get over the fact that... It's crazy. He's so good. It's not even that they were back-to-back in the Villanova game in high-leverage situations. It's the fact they were within 30 yards, within 25 yards. Like, they're gimmies. They're extra points. He's just so reliable for him to miss anything. is crazy. He's, I mean, he's made – I guess in 2020 he didn't miss a field goal. He's 14 and 14. <laughs> I forgot that last year. So since what? Since the spring season, he is, he's 32 of 34. And the two misses – like, that's crazy. And I don't, he's, I don't think it's like a nerves thing either because, like, the dude multiple years ago, like, just killed Weaver State. Like, he's yeah. been clutch – in reliable and big situations. So I don't think it was like a, he choked. It's just like, it's crazy that in that situation, he ended up missing two when he just doesn't miss. Here's a question for you. Yeah. If he hit one of those two kicks, what's the narrative around this team right now? I think they're still questioning the offense, but people are like, hey, keep finding ways to win. I think there'd be more appreciation for gutting out wins. And then I think people would – I don't know. I just think there would probably be more appreciation for for gutting out the wins. Like, I think it's good that they won all those games. They've won, a, you know, some competitive matchups. And, yeah, the offense has to get better. But, like, I think it will. Racky's reliable. The, I mean, the defense is good enough where the defense is about to go out and get you some points. Like, they're due for a touchdown one of these weeks, aren't they? I'm Yeah, they are, 100%. They kind of need to – I don't think they have that many turnovers, though, in terms of interceptions. Here's something interesting. Hit me. <laughs> I don't know how many of these interesting stats I had. I found this interesting when just scrolling through the stats, though. 
Uh, they forced 16 fumbles, I think it is. I mean, How yeah, many have they recovered? And they've only recovered five of those on defense. I That's think there's a little regression to mean coming with some fumbles. Maybe. How many interceptions do they have? That's a great question. Let me scroll up here. And, and I, thought you had I don't know right. why they don't stick them in the same spot. I've always yeah, been no. here. If anyone from the CAA sports mm-hmm. office is listening, please go back to the way that you had stats last season. So much easier they're, to maneuver. I think it was XML. Now they're in all PDFs. So much easier to maneuver last season. They have eight interceptions and five fumble recoveries. Okay. Not terrible. The turnover margin, they've been phenomenal. So they've lost three fumbles, thrown two interceptions. So they're, what is that? Five plus, they're up eight, I think, in the turnover margin. I wasn't listening along with that math. So that, that's how it kind of works. But they've been really, a, really good. I had another point I was going to make, but I completely lost it. They have a bunch of sacks. They haven't let people in the red zone much. Teams are Defensively, they're elite. Defensively, they're really good. I know I was a little down on the defense after the Villanova game. I got really sad after they drove down on the first three possessions of the second half, and I was just kind of sad. But they held them to field goals for the most part, I think, on all those drives. Or maybe it was a touchdown and a field goal, something like that. Um, So I've, I've come back to them. I think they're elite. I think they're the best, one of the best in the country. I just have no faith in this offense, like literally zero faith. And it's not, it's not a lack of talent. I, I want to say that, too. Like, I don't know what it is. I want to figure it out. But Cole Johnson's one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the FCS. He showed he can play really well. Antoine Wells is good. Chris Thornton is good. Two of the best running backs in the FCS. Maybe I'm overhyping Latrell in my mind, but I'm, I'll live with that. I just don't know why all of – maybe it's the offensive line. Maybe that's really it. Maybe once Liam comes back and things happen, because – I'll say it, Tyler Stevens kind of gets manhandled on the left tackle 50% of the time, kind of snaps the ball, and all of a sudden that that D end is just in the lap of Cole Johnson. So maybe when things like that start changing, Liam comes back. Maybe Stanley Hubbard's really good at center, but JT Timmings was a darn good center too. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Maybe it's just the offensive line needs to get better. It's kind of tough because, like, Stevens is a guy I think they like, but they're probably hoping to, like, develop more and weren't having to thrust, throw him into a starting role. So – then you got Fournado out. Um, and again, still like Raymond Gillespie was kind of a late, like, I'm done playing football announcement. So I think that left him a little shorthanded where they might have added a guy in the portal or something. And he was a really good left tackle. He was tall, athletic. Like, Liam's a great lineman. Don't get me wrong. Like, Liam is darn good and is a potential NFL Sunday player. He just, I don't know if he's a left tackle because he's a bigger body, a bigger guy. Um, more of like a right tackle, maybe a guard type guy if he boosts up a little bit more. Yeah, so he's probably he's NFL, I would think, would want him probably as a guard, right? Yeah, if he went Sundays. Um, but with that being said, the the offense was a lot better when Liam was on the field. He's awesome. Yeah, I mean, he like can a make, lot better. Yeah, so I mean, he's an if you lose an All American, you're putting in like a redshirt freshman. I guess is what Stevens is. It's going to be an adjustment. So it would be nice to to have Fournado in some capacity. We'll see what it is. Again, I go back to my earlier point. Like, if Wells' ankle isn't good, man, I am giving him two weeks off. I know that's insane, but, like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I don't even care. I'm treating the next four games like you probably need to win one to secure a playoff berth. I think if you get seven, Jamie's getting in, and it would be shocking if they didn't beat, like, Campbell. It would be shocking if they didn't go at least three and one, and then we can get to this in a minute. But the one thing I wanted to say on a national level is a couple weeks ago, they lost to Villanova, and I was like, wow. The FCS, man. I don't know if JMU's the 10th best team. And then they kept playing games. 
Yeah, that, and, that note is normally – I kind of agreed with you on that. This, this was an egg on our both of our faces. And uh, the FCS is not as good as I thought. So you got Weber State, which I believe went to the yucky red turf and beat – Whoa, them. do not make fun of the red turf. Colored turfs are so bad. Like, Coastal's field is stupid. Whoa, do not do- – okay, well, that's a topic for another podcast, <laughs> I guess. It was like the JMU basketball court with the giant Duke dog. Yeah, do not – no, that is a fantastic – thought that was a good idea. That's a great – with Jane. <laughs> that's a great court. But anyway, Eastern Washington, which I thought was, like, invincible offensively. They lost a shootout. Uh, you got South Dakota State, which somehow has two losses now and an FBS win. Remember like when we touted South Dakota State as the undisputed national title winner? I still think they're good, but yeah. And then like North Dakota State is seven and zero, and I think if I was reading correctly, like they don't love Patterson. Like there's a quarterback controversy for the seven and zero team. I don't think what? they know how to pass the football. I don't they think they understand score. <laughs> like I don't under I don't think they know what a forward pass is. There was at one point in the season where I think the quarterback had more rush yards than I mean rush attempts than he had pass attempts. And they don't play a triple option. They look like. I mean, they like just – yeah. So, I think like JMU I think is better than North Dakota State. Even with the offensive challenges, like at least Cole Johnson is physically capable of throwing a pass. And I'm not sure where they stand with that. So I will I think, say this. Yes. If it's a tie game or JMU's down two and they need a last-minute 80-yard drive to win the game, I trust the offense to do that. Yeah, I think they can definitely get in field goal range. Um, Southern Illinois is a team that you're really high on. They have a loss, though. Does Jay- so what is your power? Power rank the top five right now. Power rank the top five. Okay, that's a, that's a good question. Montana, I guess, has two losses, too. Montana State only has one. It's all very confusing. I'm going to put Sam Houston one based on what they've done last year and this year. The thing that I love about Sam Houston going into the playoffs is that I think they'll have a little bit of pressure, right? They could be undefeated, uh, defending national champs. Played only, no one. Only played cupcakes. So, like, I, I don't think they're winning it again. Like, I absolutely think at some point this year they're going to be like, oops, we have to play real teams and we'll get Well, it. they shouldn't – I don't want to get in the what-if game. They shouldn't have won it last year. If JMU doesn't yeah. melt down for four well, minutes, JMU wins the national title. A lot of teams melted down against them. Like, Monmouth had them. <laughs> and I think they had double-digit comebacks in all of their yeah. – crazy so like they almost blew leads all the time the other thing that i think is kind of interesting and maybe important is uh sam houston in late april may is like a sweaty monster in december it's not like teams are not going to wear down and like cramp right it's going to be maybe even cold which i think is an interesting point so if they lose i think it'll probably make them play a road game before the national title because their schedule is so easy if they end up losing um well, I think it's kind of like JMU. JMU lost to Villanova, who's arguably the second or third best team in the nation, and they dropped from three to seven and now are struggling to climb up the polls. Like, if Sam Houston loses, they very well could drop to, like, nine. Yeah, they could, they could be in a little bit of trouble. So I'll say Sam Houston right now at one. I'll, oh, God. I'm going to say Villanova two. I agree. I'm going to give you Southern Illinois three. I agree. James Madison four. And then I'm going to put, like, North Dakota State at five. I just think that's, like, the – I know that's not what the poll says. I know that's not – Well, this is a power sense. ranking. This is completely – that's the beauty about power rankings. Yeah, I think JMU is – I still think they're a top-five team. Like, I think I, they're – Yeah, I no, think, I agree. I just – I don't think North Dakota State's five. I think – I put Eastern Washington at five. That's probably fair. 
South Dakota State at six, and then North Dakota State at seven. And that's just, maybe I clip this and put this on Twitter because I think this will make a lot of North Dakota State fans mad. If they're like, I think if Eastern Washington and North Dakota State faced off, I think Eastern Washington blows the doors off of them. So let's let's take a quick look here at this uh, this gauntlet of a schedule they've played. So they they opened up with a win over Albany. Um, not really, I guess it was commanding, but it wasn't all that impressive. They blew out Valparaiso, which is known for like a famous basketball buzzer beater decades ago. Uh, Towson. Wrong sport. Uh, they <laughs> got through Towson, got through North Dakota by six, 16 to 10. Uh, they had a 14 point home win over Northern Iowa, which I think picked up a big win recently. They might've knocked off South Dakota state. I could be wrong. Northern Iowa is number 16, four and three. Okay. Illinois State, they beat 20 to nothing. And then they, they beat Missouri State this past weekend, 27 to 20. So they, I mean, their schedule is really not that hard, to be totally honest with you. They've got Indiana State, and then on November 6th, they go at South Dakota State. And I would, I would bet a lot of money they're going to lose to South Dakota State. Yeah, I agree. Well, now that we got national talk out of the way, should we move to talking about the final four games of the schedule and starting off with Elon and kind of expectations? Do you, do you have any expectations for Elon? They're kind of a slightly below average defense in both scoring and total. Um, Davis Cheek is top 10 in the nation in passing yards, um, top, I think, 13 in yards per game. So Davis Cheek's kind of doing everything for him right now. They're 3-1 in the CAA with wins over New Hampshire, Maine, and Richmond. So if you're looking at that preseason and you tell me that Elon has those three wins. That sounds impressive. Um, now that we've seen how the season shakes out, not as impressive. An okay defense led by Davis Cheek. What do you expect in this game? Because I, I'll get into my thoughts, but I want yours. JMU is beat up on like third string quarterbacks. So like that's, they've done incredibly well defensively, but Cheek in conference play at four games He's gone over 300 yards in three of those four. He's thrown for multiple touchdowns in three of those four, and he's completed at least 60% of his passes uh, in all four. And he's gone the last two games, he's completed 78% of his passes against Maine and 87% against New Hampshire. So, like, he's playing really well. So I'm excited to see that. It's an actual test for the secondary. It's a test for the defense. I still think JMU is going to win by multiple possessions because I think the offense is going to get going more. And I also think that Davis Cheek, maybe outside of Appalachian State, hasn't played a defense anywhere close to JMU's most of the year. Um, so I think that's going to be a shock for him a little bit. And, uh, hey, Signetti's going to be fired up, man. Old team. It gets, gets, the, uh, gets the juices flowing. I mean, it does. But, yeah, like, like you said, the defenses he's faced in the CAA aren't good defenses. Maine, New Hampshire, he faced William & Mary. Granted, William & Mary got the win. Um, but Maine, New Hampshire are bottom two in total defense. Um, Richmond's a good defense, and he kind of did well against them. So that was just to quickly butt in. That was by far his worst game. That was against Richmond. So there we go. Perfect. I'm glad you made that point because I was getting there. So and then JMU, I would say, is infinitely better than Richmond's defense. Um, so I, I don't think I don't have high hopes for Davis Cheek and company. I think they're. I wouldn't say a fraudulent three and one, but they're a lucky three and one. Um, losses to William and Mary, which it's just that's not a good loss. Here's an interesting little. It, 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 I will say this before you say your interesting thing. 
I am excited to see the secondary tested because I have been hot and cold on this secondary so much this season. I love them, then I hate them. So I'm, I'm excited to see them play not just a first-string quarterback, which is rare, but Davis Cheek, who it is worth saying is one of the top quarterbacks, even though his team around him perennially sucks. Um, it is good to see that they're, he, they're facing like one of the better quarterbacks. <laughs> How funny is that, that facing a first-team quarterback, which is rare. <laughs> it has been for him. But the thing I wanted to, to – I thought was interesting that I was going to ask you a question about is you got four teams in the conference with no or one loss, so one or fewer losses. Villanova's 4-0, JMU's 4-1, and and then William, Mary, and Elon are both 3-1. and Wait, William, Mary's 3-1? and Conference play. So my question to you is, do you think either William, Mary, or Elon, they're both 5-2 and two overall, make the playoffs? Okay, so let's look. Elon uh, Elon plays JMU, so that's an L. Um, so what, they're done sitting at 5-3. and three. They need two wins. Yeah. They face Villanova, Towson, and Rhode Island. Elon is not making the playoffs. <laughs> like, they're going to lose out. I think there's a chance that they do, or at least lose three, right? And they need two wins. Yeah. Well, they they only have three games. Is that right? I thought they had – no, they should have They should have four games, including JMU, right? Oh, I guess, yeah, including JMU. So I think they'll probably go one and three or 0 oh and four. I think they go 0 oh and four. But, yeah, exactly. And then William and Mary looking over there, they have Villanova, Delaware, JMU. They they aren't making the playoffs either. Like both of these so dead (laughs) are going to drop out of the CAA standings so quick that we're going to forget that they were ever a one loss CAA team. And then they, they end with Richmond, which the schedule has put in a very precarious spot where I missed it and did not see that was a game because it has a weird border around. Oh, the capital. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Everyone. (laughs) You uses that border for playoffs. (laughs) (laughs) That really threw me off. But, like, none of those are – maybe they get one of them. Here's maybe. a question. Rhode Island, I was so high on them, and they made me look so stupid. Um, are they making the playoffs? Oh, let's check their schedule. The way they're playing, I would say no. They have – oh, they should. Maine, UMass, New Hampshire, Elon. UMass will beat them. They're not, they're not beating UMass. I don't believe yeah, Maine and Elon, two wins right there. Uh, that could be a battle. What do they need? They need two. They're they, five and two. You would. They got a decent. Yeah, they got a decent. With an FBS loss, they need two wins. Yeah, so you'll have an FBS, FBS loss, and you'll have. Yeah, I think they'll have a good chance. They got Maine and New Hampshire at home. Elon, on the, I think they'll probably end up getting two. So yeah. I think I think it might be like a only a three bid league though. Yeah, easily. Well, that, that's like, that's pretty game. obvious, right? Everybody already, everybody already has four losses outside of those teams. <laughs> I like how you said that like that was news. This is only maybe a three. This might be – here's the news of it. It could be a two-bit league. Two-bit league. It's a terrible conference this year. Very that, well will be. I will say this. I, I don't have faith in Rhode Island pulling out late season wins. Um, they're not accustomed to having their season on the line late. Um, so this very well will be a two-bit league. That's crazy. Unless, like, you know, a Delaware or someone goes crazy. And no. Delaware's right. two and three. Delaware is not a, in conference. Delaware's not a two and three team. Like, I feel for them. Yeah, the Henderson injury really stinks. The Henderson injury, and then they got 
kind of the, they kind of got shafted with their schedule. They played some of the best teams in the CAA this season. Yeah, they had a tough a tough go of it. So it's it's not great. But the thing that I guess I brought that up for is a lot of fans have been like, oh, I don't know, like William Mary and Elon. And it's like, no, you don't understand. Like, it might only be Villanova and JMU in the playoffs from this conference. Like, they're three and one in the conference. That does not mean they're good. It means they've had a much easier front loaded schedule. Yeah, it's funny because yeah, fans are like, I don't know. I don't think we can call these last four cupcakes. They're three and one, and they're looking good in conference. No. Elon Campbell, they should win each of these games by three possessions. Towson, we still have questions on because, like, is Towson the, – are the quitters good? <laughs> I don't know. Like, they started poorly but then kind of got good. Um, what are they sitting at? They're sitting at two and two in conference, three and four overall. So, like, they don't jump off the page at you. But a win over Morgan State, um, lost to New Hampshire by multiple possessions – but then they they kind of rattled off two in a row, and then lost to William and Mary this week. Blowout, right? What? It was a blowout. Yeah, it was forty to fourteen. So, like, is Towson good? I don't think so because I don't think William and Mary is good. But with that being said, these last couple of games we touched on Elon. Any other of these games you want to touch on, or just wait till that week comes? I guess we can wait. I think the overarching point for me now that we really get into those and start talking about it is like. If JMU does lose one of these games with three or four at home, it will completely change my outlook. Like I've been super optimistic. If they lose one of these four, like I, I don't even know if they'll make the quarters. Like then there could be some legit problems. Yeah. And then do you start questioning the coach? Then, then I don't know. Then you look at Brian Shore. That's the head coach. No, but I think, I do think they'll win all four. Like you said, I think they should win them in kind of commanding fashion. And who knows, maybe Elon and William Mary surprise us. They turn out to be world beaters, but uh, I just haven't seen it. Very uh, bold prediction there. Well, with that being said, it's time to move our attention over to the AA Pick'em. The AA Pick'em. Uh, did you get any Bennett Sunbelt? Oh, I forgot, I forgot did you to get do a it. chance to, to compile our scores or no? No, I didn't do it again. Okay, so this is the lost season where we're just doing the CAA pick em. I think Bennett still has the lead. Um, I'm putting it in as a note. Last time I just said I would do it. But. So last week, last week, you went. It's gotten a lot worse for us. I went Maine, so I got that right. I don't even know who they played. Albany. I think I picked Albany. Yeah, you did. I have it in front of me. I'm actually, I'm now organized. So okay. now they won that game. So I've, I've, I just that lost. That was a close game. Albany's a joke, man. They lose every game by a possession. Albany's trash. Elon, New Hampshire. I picked Elon. You picked New Hampshire. Damn it. Here's, a, <laughs> here's an important question for you. Is Albany the best 0-7 team in the country? I think no. He, I think, yeah. <laughs> no. Um. Next game, you pick JMU. I, too, pick JMU. I will give it to you. You got Delaware score right. Really? You said 38 to 10. Pretty close. Um, we both picked Villanova. We both picked Stony Brook. And we both picked Towson. Why is it repeating the scores like that? Like what? <laughs> they copied them 20 times in a row. <laughs> Where? The CA website. We're on different pages, I think. I see the, all the scores a million times. Did I have William Mary or Towson? You had Towson. 
That's terrible. Who did you have? We both had Towson. I was five and one last week. Really? We were three and three. So maybe we should compile those numbers. I'm going to need you to go back and compile the numbers because I think this week I just got a lot of ground on you. I probably had Richmond, didn't I? For what game? Oh, no, you picked Stony Brook. Well, then what's my other one that's wrong? Albany, UNH, Towson. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. Thank you for joining us, folks, on this podcast where Bennett tries to figure out how – What page are you on? Because I've got 100 in a row. I'm on caasports.com forward slash calendar dot ASPX question mark path. Keep scrolling, bro. Keep scrolling to the next week. Everything's fine. Refresh your page. All right. Maine. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Maine at Rhode Island. Who do you got? Oh, yeah. You're right. I already said it. No, I still have. No, I Maine at Rhode Island. Better. Let's go. Come on. Go on. It reset. Maine at Rhode Island. Rhode Island's been scuffling. Maine is just a scrappy, 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 scrappy group. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. Maine. If I share my pick, will that help? Maine. Okay. I am going Rhode Island. Um, I still have faith in my roadies. Uh, they kind of but yeah, they, this is a desperate need. They need to practically win out. Next up, Dixie State at Delaware. The Dixie State Dixie Staters are uh, fighters. I assume, I assume they're bad. I have no idea. <laughs> um, I'll take Delaware. I just I would be upset if I picked Dixie State. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go with uh, Delaware. Oh. Uh, <laughs> almost got you. William & Mary Villanova, who do you got? I'm really tempted to take William & Mary. Why? Okay. They're scrappers, bro. If it wasn't, if it was in Williamsburg, I might. But it's in, it's at Villanova. I think Villanova is special this year. Uh, Daniel Smith, many people are calling him the next Tom Brady. The next Tom Brady. Um, so I'll take Villanova. I too am going to pick Villanova. I think Villanova's. I mean, you said it. I agreed with you on your powering the second, if not the best team in the nation. Um, they're really good. Daniel Smith. They haven't had the fall off the cliff yet, and maybe this is their year. Um, Richmond at New Hampshire. Um, well, I thought Richmond was going to do well last week. I guess I didn't even pick that though. Um, but they lost at Stony Brook. Like, I don't, I don't see them then going up to New Hampshire and winning. I don't think New Hampshire is good, but I think New Hampshire will take advantage of your mistakes and they're tend to play a little bit better. Um, well, they lost in Dartmouth by 17. Is Mancuso back? I don't know. I have no idea. I'll just... (laughs) I'll say New Hampshire, assuming Mancuso is not healthy. Um, I'm going to go Ro- Richmond. I'm going to go Richmond. Yeah. Um, even if Bo English is the starter, I really have no idea. But I don't know. I think Richmond will go up there and beat them. I don't like New Hampshire. so I actually think they might, too. Elon, like, I'm glad you then picked New Hampshire. Elon at JMU. Who do you got? Last time Elon came to JMU, Elon pulled off one of the biggest upsets in FCS history of the season. I was at that game. So was I. I was sidelined. It was, was a very hot family weekend. Yeah, I was furious. I'm going to say JMU wins this one uh, 63 to 17. The Literally. offense is back, Literally. baby. <laughs> We're back. Um, the boys are back. I think JMU wins 34 3. All right. Townsend, uh, they're going to host Albany. Who do you got? Gosh, what a good game. Um, you got two teams that 
just proud football traditions at both these schools. Albany is really one of the, I'm not even kidding. I think they're the best 0-17 in the country. <laughs> like this, they are a darn good 0-7. <laughs> You're sounding like a real Lions fan right now. <laughs> the, the Lions are a pretty good 0-7 too, to be honest. That's actually a good point. Lions or Albany. It would be a battle, but I think Campbell would get the guys, Dan Campbell would get the guys fired up. But Albany is a, a scrappy group that I guess played two quarterbacks against Maine. A little confused by that. At one point, they're going to win, right? Yeah, is it this week, though? No. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> Nelson, I, can't, I can't take them to win when they lose every game. I'll yeah, you literally, like, cannot. That is just insane. I'll take them next week. I'll take them next week. Well, next week, who do they play? Yeah, they play New Hampshire next. They host New Hampshire. That's oh, their – What a fake. All right. Anything else you want to add? Anything from our Olympic sports world? Oh, that's a good question. I'm looking it up now. Don't worry. Basketball um, starts soon. We have a basketball preview soon. Oh, I'm so hyped for basketball. It might be next week, to be honest with you. What? It might be next week. I'm so hyped. Well, in other Olympic sport news, basketball is coming. They got to announce their 16-game TV schedule. A couple uh, – national broadcasts on CBS Sports Network. CBS Sports Network has a really weird deal with the CAA. Um, so that's exciting. The Dukes will be there. 23 in the field hockey poll. What are you doing? We'll, we'll be there for one of the CBS Sports Network games. Oh, yeah, we will. Um, if you're, you're going to go to the JMU UVA game, let us know, and um, yeah. we'll love to, to say hello. Um, Chrissy Morgan just got extended. Field hockey head coach got extended, I think, through 2026. Oh, um, and Evelyn Zwager and Cassidy Strittmatter uh, won CAA awards. Men's soccer hit a bit of a rough patch. Yep. Three straight without a win. One's a tie, but uh, overtime loss, double what? overtime. What? A, a what? I don't know what a tie is in soccer. I only know a draw. Right, Ted Lasso. Hey, they put it, is the T for draw that they put out there? <laughs> um, and then they lost to Hofstra, who's ranked. So not a whole lot of shame in that. They got a couple couple matches here left. Home matches, get out, support the boys. And uh, then they've got the conference tournament. Yep. And so for Ben and Colin, my name's Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.